We, we like change. Like, okay, a few people, a few people. Uh, yeah, there's a few, uh, maybe, maybe, sometimes, not, not so much. How many of us hate change? Like, we just, we just don't like change. You guys don't like showers, do you? Uh, that, that's, uh, that's great. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let me, let me talk to the kids for a second. Kids, how many of you would like to eat the exact same cereal every single morning for the rest of your life? Kids, anybody? Exact same cereal. Okay, like two of you. Okay, and my son's one of them. That's great. Awesome. Thanks for ruining that illustration. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk later. Now, the, the, the thing is, is I, I mean, I like change. I, I, I like change. I'm always looking forward to the next thing. I don't like things to, to really be the same for, you know, long periods of time, you know, certain things. And so I, I look forward to change. I look forward to, you know, the new iPhone when it comes out here in a couple of weeks. Like, I get excited about things like that, and you're like, don't you rail against gadgets and toys? Yes, I do all the time, and I'm, I'm a sinner, okay? I'm just saying. And so, like, like I, I mean, I, I look forward to those things. I, I get excited about new things and things that change. How many of us are excited about summer turning to fall? Ah, oh, yeah, see? There you go. You like change, and you didn't even know it, all right? You like change, and you didn't even know it. But I like change, and as believers, here's the good thing. As believers, believers if you're a believer in Christ, you are constantly changing. You're constantly changing. And hopefully you enjoy the fact that you're actually changing, that you're not the same believer that you were when you first accepted Christ. By the grace of God, I am not the same believer that I was when I first accepted Christ. And that's a good thing. That's a a change that we should all look forward to. That's a change that we should all be really, really excited about. And so there's one simple truth, and I say this to you guys all the time, and I will continue to say it, is that we cannot stay the same after meeting Jesus. You can't stay the same. It's spiritually impossible for you to meet Jesus, to make him the Savior of your life, and stay the exact same. It's spiritually impossible. And you're like, yeah, but I've stayed exactly the same. Then you didn't meet Jesus. You cannot meet Jesus and stay the same. If you read the Gospels, read the Gospels, not even just the Gospels, but read the New Testament and look at the New Testament from that perspective and see how the people who met Jesus, who followed him, who gave their lives for him, if they stayed the same when they first met him. Think about Matthew, one of the disciples who was a tax collector, right? Matthew, the tax collector, was a thief. He was an extortioner. He hurt people on purpose in order to get money from them his own people he was a jew who stole money from other jews and then he met jesus matthew didn't stay the same did he peter did not stay the same john did not stay the same paul (laughs) let's talk about paul for a second paul the murderer of christians who hated christians who was on his way in fact to murder christians met Jesus, and he did not stay the same. So when we meet Jesus, we cannot stay the same. We are constantly growing and changing. It would be very much like this. My son, who is five, started kindergarten this year. And uh, he, uh, uh, last night we had, uh, we had steaks last night, and it was great. We, we enjoyed ourselves with some, with some steak last night, and I had to cut his steak for him. Right, And so I, I cut a steak up for him because that would probably go very badly if I gave him a knife at this point. And so uh, we, we don't do that in our house just yet. 
but we're working on it. Like, if by the time he gets to be a high schooler and he goes to prom and he's calling me and going, Dad, can you cut my steak? He's got issues and we are bad parents. And so, like, if, if he doesn't change, if he doesn't learn how to grow into something, it's going to get really weird for him, right? And the same is true for us as believers. We change. We grow. There are things that happen within us that grow. It's, we grow, and it's a process. Uh, the author, C.S. Lewis, you're familiar with him. He, he wrote the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, Chronicles of Narnia, right? Chronicles of Narnia. Okay, uh, C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, another proof of the conquest of a soul for Christ will be found in a real change of life. Listen to what he says. He says, If the man does not live differently from what he did before, both at home and abroad, his repentance needs to be repented of, and his conversion is a fiction. C.S. Lewis got it right. He said, If there's not a change that takes place, then something is missing. Something isn't happening the way it's supposed to be happening. Now, understand me, and we'll actually talk about this in our next series uh, to uh, quite a bit of length. Um, this process of, of sanctification. But, but what happens is, is some, for some of you, you don't just simply immediately change overnight. Like it's not a night and day difference for some of you. You still struggle with certain things. You still have certain issues that you're still working out. And so it's a process that takes a bit of time. And for others, for some people, like if you look at the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, it was like this huge, immediate, big change. But even Paul, there was a period of time between when Paul met Jesus to the time that Paul began his ministry, that there were several years that Paul was still kind of Paul. And so it takes, it takes time. In uh, this series, we're talking about what it means to be on mission for God, to have one common goal, one common purpose, and for all of us to both corporately, meaning us as a church, and also us individually as believers, for all of us to set our hearts and our minds and our eyes on one goal, for one purpose, for one kingdom. His kingdom, not this kingdom, not rich church, but God's kingdom for the big C church and to move in that direction. What does that look like? And so we've uh, taken this uh, series and we called it Friday Night Lights, football season starting up. High school started this past week. You know, we're moving in, into that already. College starts next week. NFL starts the next week. So football season's kind of starting up. And I don't know if any of y'all like football, but I like football. And so uh, Cards on the Table, this show, Friday Night Lights, came out several years ago. I started watching it. I heard Coach Eric Taylor on the show, like you just saw on the screen a few minutes ago, take his team, gather them in the locker room. And he said this to him. He said, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And then just like you saw on the clip, they just started chanting that. And that sort of became their rally, their, their battle cry that they would go out onto the field for. And I'm just being honest with you. I saw that and I was like, I got to preach that one day. Like four years ago, I was like, I got to do that one day. So this is a four-year series in the making, okay? So this has, been, this has been coming for a long time. And I finally paid somebody enough money to let me do it. So it's, uh, it's, it's happening right now. And so last week we talked about clear eyes. We said we've got to have clear eyes. The, the mission of God, we've got to know what God has called us to. And we looked at Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus, as he, after he had been crucified and resurrected and was about to send into heaven, he gathered his disciples around and he gave them the great commission. And he said, 
Go, therefore, in light of everything that you've seen me do, in light of the gospel, in light of this good news, in light of all of the miracles, in light of who I am, go, therefore, and make disciples. And baptize them and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I will be with you until the very end of the age. And so he gives them a mission. He puts them on a path and he says, this is what I want you to do. And so this week, we're going to talk about having full hearts. Because we'll never get to where God has told us to go if we don't commit to the mission with our hearts. In other words, it has to be every piece of ourselves. It's giving it all we've got for one common goal and purpose. A a German theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he... um, in the 1940s, he, he wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he said this, very famous quote. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but death is not a partial thing. Like, it, it's not something that, that partially happens. Now, I've got quite a few of, uh, we'll just call them Appalachian Americans in my family. And uh, these, and maybe you've got a few in your family too, but these Appalachian American uh, family members of mine, that, that there's this phrase that they like to say a lot of times, like when it comes to things like that, they'd be, they'd be like, man, that, that guy done half dead. Or that, that, that deer done half dead, right? And you're like, half dead? What, I don't even, what does that mean? I don't even, how, how are you half dead? Like, I don't even get... You don't, there, there is no half death. You're either dead or you're not, right? It's either, it's either death or not. And so there, there is no half dead thing. And, and this is what Bonhoeffer says. He says that Christ, when he calls a man, he comes him, he, he, he bids him to come and die. It's all or nothing. See, Jesus didn't half die on a cross, did he? He fully died so that he could fully forgive sins. And it's why Jesus, in the Gospels, he says that we have to pick up our cross to follow him. Why does he say we have to pick up a cross? Because it's, it's an all-in action. You don't pick up a cross and halfway carry it. You don't halfway go to a cross. It's a full heart. And so to go where Jesus has commanded us to go, both corporately and individually, we must go with full hearts, all in. And when we do that, we will do and see, it's my belief, from what I read in Scripture, that we will do and see greater things. Um, Open to John chapter 14 real quick. And if you want, if you're like a superstar, you can put your finger in 1 Samuel 14 as well. But John chapter 14, Jesus said some really cool things. You should read it. It's awesome. Um, He said this, John chapter 14, starting in verse 12. This is red letter. That means Jesus said it. He says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, when he says that, what he's saying, he's going, hey, 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 listen. I got something really, really important to tell you. It says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, we could stop right there. We could just preach on that right there. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, what did Jesus do? He did some pretty cool things, didn't he? He healed people. He brought men who were dead back 
from the grave. He walked on water, turned water into wine. We talked about that a few weeks, right? He fed 5,000 plus people, probably 10, 12,000 when you count the women and children together with two fish and five loaves of bread, right? Basically a happy meal from Long John. Right? And so, so he, he, he did these things. And, and Jesus says, hey, if whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, uh, we could really dive into that and, and talk about that. He's not just talking about the miracles. Because here's the thing. He's not saying that everybody who is a believer will also do the miracles that he did. That's not what he's saying. Because we read in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul says that some people are given the gift of prophecy. Some people are, are given the gift of healing. Some people are given different gifts. And so that doesn't mean that everybody gets those gifts. But that's another sermon for another time. So I just encourage you, if you want to dive into that, go and read that. So what is he saying exactly? Well, listen, he goes on. He says, And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So basically what Jesus is saying, he's saying that we will do greater works than he did because it's not just Jesus doing the work, it's Jesus doing the work through multitudes of people with the power of the Holy Spirit. That when we have a full heart, when we have clear eyes, when we unify, when we unite and begin to move in the same direction that he has called us to, to go and make disciples, baptizing, teaching, to obey, that we will see greater works, that we will see greater things. He says, whoever believes. And so listen, he's not just talking to the ministry professionals here. He's talking to believers. That means you. If you're a believer, he's talking to you. He's saying, you will do greater things. You will see greater things. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the children's ministry workers. It's not just, it's not just for that. If you are a, are a believer, he's talking about you. Now, here's a, a pretty tough question to have to wrestle with. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, united together with the body of believers, this right here where we sit right now, the church, just like the church down the street at Robertsville, the church down the street here at LaSalle, uh, all the churches, the churches that we are in network with, where people are sitting right now together, when we come together, do we believe that we will do and see greater things? Jesus says that we will. And here's the beautiful part. He's already set us up for it. Do you know this? Like he's already set you up for greater things, to see greater things, to do greater things. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, listen to what he says here. He says, for we, talking about you and I as believers, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so Paul says, listen, this is what God has done for you. He set you up. Like he, he has already set you up in a place to do greater things. And if you don't believe me, he, he echoes this in Acts 17, verse 26. He says this. He says, and he made, talking about God, 
from one man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having, this is important, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So what's he saying? He's saying that the places that you live and work and play and do life right now, where you're at right now, you have been specifically and purposely placed there for greater things. So that job that you hate, you're there for a reason. Those people that you work with that just ee on your nerves, and believe me, I know that they do, right? You're there for greater things. God has placed you there purposely. It's on purpose. And you just thought life kind of stunk. But what God is trying to tell you is that you have a purpose for being there right now. For greater things. And what are those greater things? Well, it starts with back what we went with last, last week when we said that he has called us to make disciples. So is our church a picture of greater things? This is what I want for our church. This is what I want for you, is I want us to be part of greater things. I want us to do greater things. I want us to see greater things. I want you to see greater things. Because if you are living a life as a believer, and you are living a life as a believer, and you're going, man, this is kind of boring, you're doing it wrong. You ever seen a guy pick up a bicycle and carry it, and you just want to be like, hey, man, you're doing that wrong? You should probably ride that thing because it, it would work a whole lot better, right? <laughs> yeah. I saw, I saw a guy uh, one time I was uh, up at the lake and, and uh, I saw a guy like swimming behind his boat, like swimming it and pushing it. And I'm just like, man, you're doing that wrong. Like, I, <clears throat> you're supposed to be in it, man. Like, you, you do that differently. L- listen, if, if being a believer is boring for you, you're doing it wrong. You're looking at it wrong. You're looking at it in a way that that God didn't intend for you to look at it. You're in a place on purpose. You're going to places on purpose for a reason. Because God has called you to something greater. Bigger than you. Bigger than this. Get fired up about that. I don't know. That doesn't get you fired up. I don't know what will. All right, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14 real quick. That's in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you start at Genesis and just, you know, flip back, you'll, you'll get there. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Um, got a story about a man named Saul who is uh, king over Israel at the time. Um, and Saul has a son by the name of Jonathan. And Saul and the nation of Israel have sort of found themselves in a pickle against the Philistines. And they are outnumbered and are basically outmuscled at this point. They find themselves with about 600 men compared to what the Philistines have, who have this, like, they're about to just crush Israel at the time. Because, not only that, in the whole place of 600 men, there are only two swords. Saul has one, and Jonathan has one. Everybody else has, like, farming equipment, right? And so you got some peasants versus an army. This is not going to go very well at at this moment. But we see something amazing happen. Check out 1 Samuel chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It said, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, 
He said, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And so Jonathan has his father, Saul, and the army. They're kind of camped out, sitting. It says this, verse 2, it says, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who who were with him were about 600 men. Now, you have Jonathan and his armor bearer who have one sword between the two of them. The other man who has a sword is sitting under a cave, kicking it, right? He's just sitting over there going, all right, what are we going to do? Like, how, like how's, this, how's this whole thing going to work out? But I love what happens with Jonathan. Skip down to verse 6. Verse 6 says this. It says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. You catch that? Listen to what he says. He says, he says, let us go over to the army that outnumbers us, that has more weapons than us. We have one sword between the two of us, but let's go over there and maybe, just maybe, the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Verse 7, it says, And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Now, while Saul sat with a bunch of people talking about what they should do, Jonathan says, We should go and do something about this before they come and basically obliterate us and so he was fired up about doing and not just talking about doing Did you catch that he actually wanted to do something he didn't want to just talk about doing something we said this last week jesus told us in matthew 28 he said go and make disciples and i said listen you have four options with that command it's not a suggestion it, 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 when you read that it doesn't say the great suggestion it says the great commandment which means I think that Jesus meant what he said, to actually go and make disciples. I think he actually meant that. And so when I get to heaven, and if Jesus says, hey, man, uh, that go and make disciples thing, I wasn't really saying that you actually had to go and make disciples. I'm just going to be like, I just thought that's what you meant when you said it, because it's what you said. Pretty sure he's not going to say that, though. In fact, if we're not making disciples, I think the conversation is going to be more like, hey, I thought I told you to go and make disciples. What happened? We have four options with that. We said this last week. We said we can we could ignore it, just act like you didn't even say it. We can watch others do it. Well, he didn't actually call me to do it. Like when he, he he told his disciples, so that was like New Testament things. Well, if that's the case, then we can just throw all the New Testament out because if none of it's true, none of it's true, right? Or we can actually do it. We or we can memorize it. You know, just like I did just a few minutes ago. 
Go and make disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and I will be with you until the very end of the age. Like, that sounds good when I just, you, you know, you can just blurt it out, right? And be like, you can just, you know, Jesus juke somebody with that and, you know, be like, I'm just feeling lazy. It's like, Jesus said, go and make disciples. You need to get up off your tail. You know, like, you can just totally Jesus juke somebody with that, and they, it sounds really good until they go, are you doing that? Well, I didn't, I, he wasn't really talking about, I, he was just talking about you. He wasn't talking about me. So we have, we have four options with that. He was, listen, Jonathan was willing to walk away from the safety and comfort to do something in order to see greater things. God called us to a lot of things, but I, I assure you that he did not call us to play it safe. He did not call us to play it safe. My biggest fear as a pastor of a church, is that we will always just talk about greater things. Or that we will memorize John fourteen twelve and say that he said that we would do greater things, but we would ne- never actually do greater things. We have to stop talking and start doing. Have you ever been consumed by something? Like, have you ever just been totally consumed by something? Like, like you, just, you just can't get enough of it? Like, you just can't, like, it just, it just comes out of you? I, um, uh, last summer, uh, two of our elders, uh, we, went to, uh, we went to this conference uh, for a couple of days. And uh, as we're going down to this conference, one of our elders, uh, John Monday, who, who passed away earlier this year, John, uh, he was a monster-drinking, like, energy-drinking fool. Like, I mean, he just, it, it just, like, when he sweat, he sweat monster. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just, it just came out of him, right? And so, like, he was consumed with this stuff. I mean, absolutely just consumed with it. And so, as we're driving through the great state of Georgia, we're stopped at a uh, gas station to get something to drink, and he goes in, and he finds this new energy drink that he has never had before in his entire life, and it was called cocaine, okay? <laughs> totally legal. I don't think there was a substance in it, but, I, you know, I'm just saying, like, but when I saw the effects, I wasn't so sure. But, like, it just, so he, like, literally, I'm sitting in the car, and he walks out of the gas, and we're like, what is it taking so long? And so he walks out of the gas station with, like, five of these things, right? Two of them already drank. And so, like, before he pays for it, he, they, they, he's already drank them, right? And so he, get in the car. We still got like an hour drive left, you know, so like 20 minutes into the drive, all of a sudden he's just like, huh, what are we getting there? What are we doing? What are we, are we what? like, I mean, he's just like, bam! Like, you know, he's just like so excited. And so we get there, you know, and I, I come walking in. We're just kind of meeting these other pastors, these other people, you know, and I'm very calmly shaking hands and things like that. And John's like, hey, how's it going? My name's John. Well, you know, he's just like, and we're like, he had some cocaine on the way over here, so. <laughs> it's okay. It's good. It's good. And like, uh, energy drink. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But like, he's just absolutely just consumed with it. And it just comes out. And I love football. Anybody else? Am I the only one? Anybody? Okay. All right. Yeah. I love football. And um, it's really funny because during football season, I will act like a complete fool, even if I'm by myself in my home, like literally standing on the couch with a football in my hand, screaming at the TV, right? I will do this. Now, here's the crazy thing. 
If I am in a room or a stadium full of 100,000 people, I'll do the same thing. And it's nuts because I'll turn around and high-five people that I don't even know. I'll sing a song that, honestly, when you think about it, nobody really likes it, but we just sing it anyway, and then we go, woo, you know, in the middle of it. And it's, you know, it's nuts. I'm just kidding. I really love Rocky Top. Like, you can play that at my funeral. I'll be happy. But, like, um, <laughs> I'm just saying. And so I, I love it. Like, but I get, I get consumed with it. I get consumed with it. And I, I, I say this to myself every football season, is that it's sad that even for me, that I can get more fired up about that than I can about seeing people change. Listen, if, if we can't get on fire as a church, then what are we doing? What does that say about what we believe, believe about who God is? Anything about that? It doesn't say that we believe that we will do or see greater things. We have to be consumed with what should be and could be. Jonathan was consumed. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they were prepared to do something while Saul sat and talked about it. I believe that with all of my heart that this church will ignite when we get set on fire and are consumed with what Jesus told us to do when he said, go and make disciples. And when we stop sitting and just talking about it. And listen, here's, not, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that all of us are just sitting and talking about it. Listen, there are disciples being made in this church. And it's really kind of crazy. Some of you uh, don't even know it and haven't seen it with your eyes yet. But just hold on because you'll see it. It's happening right now. But we can't get complacent with it. John Wesley said this. He said, I set myself on fire. And people come to watch me burn. I love that. And so Jonathan and, and his armor bearer, Jonathan says, maybe the Lord will fight for us. Just maybe. Don't you think that if you were the two of them with one sword between them, that you'd need a little more than maybe? I think I would. It's not the best strategy, but it worked. But here's, here's the beautiful thing, is that we have better than a maybe. You and I have better than a maybe. That maybe the Lord, that if we actually put ourselves out there, both as a church and as individuals, that if we will step out, that God will actually step in. That we have a better opportunity, a better chance than just maybe the Lord will fight for us. Why do we know that? It will be better than a maybe because Jesus said it was better than maybe at the end of Matthew 28, didn't he? He said, hey, go and make disciples and here, listen, I will be with you when you do it. Listen, that's better than a maybe. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. I will breathe and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will have the power of the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus in spirit, right? And so he will be with us, in us, before us, behind us, beside us. And so he says, go and make disciples because I will be with you. And I love the response of Jonathan's armor bearer, he says in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 14, 
says this. He says, And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. That word heart or that phrase heart and soul in when you translate it through the scripture it what it means is it means that he's saying that I'm with you as your heart is with you just like your heart and my heart are inside of us it goes wherever we go <laughs> doesn't it and so his armor bearer was saying I'm with you like that. So whatever you do, whatever it is, as crazy as it might sound, and, and it was crazy, right? But you walking across the room sometimes might sound a little crazy. You walking down the street to a neighbor's house might sound a little crazy, might feel a little crazy. Saying hello to somebody and talking to somebody and engaging them in spiritual conversations in the hallways of your school might sound a little crazy at first. But the Spirit of God is with you, heart and soul. So let me ask you this. Are you with God, with what God is doing, heart and soul? Can you say that? When Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples, can you say, yes, Jesus, heart and soul? I'm in. All in. Not just partially, not just partly, but I'm all in. If that's where we're going, that's where I'm going. What part of yourself are you holding on to that must die so a change can take place? Like, is there something that, that holds you back from being in this heart and soul? Is there an addiction? Is there a sin? Is there something that says, no, I want you to just sit back and watch others do it. Is it a fear? Is it an anxiety? What must die so a change can take place? Because if you're a changed person, changed people want to see people change. changes everything. Jesus gave heart and soul on the cross. And we'll never be able to repay him for that. But if Jesus said, I want you to go and charge hell with a water pistol, our answer should be, when are we going? The beautiful thing is, is that we don't have a water pistol to charge hell with. I've read the end of the book. We win. We win. So what's our excuse? Clear eyes. Full hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word, how it just cuts to our hearts, God, how it convicts us of sin and draws us to repent. God, let us with full hearts, God, 
step into the mission to which you have called us to. If there is anything that stands in the way of what you are calling us to, whether it be uh, specific, as in a specific person, specific place, God, that you draw out the thing that must die in our life, God, so that we repent of that and that it dies on the cross with you. And that we are brought forth to new life, to be changed, so that we are consumed, God. We are consumed with wanting to see others changed because you, through the blood of the Christ, the blood of the cross, God, step into that.